today's Today's episode of the Keeping It 1000 podcast with George Carls presented with limited commercial interruption thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook. Week three of football's in the books. It's time to review the tape and get ready for week four. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to add to the excitement of week four, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back, this is the fourth time they're bringing it back, the can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried it yet, listen up. Because all you have to do, all new users of DraftKings Sportsbooks app, all new users get a chance to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team. Could be the heaviest favorite. You bet on them, $1, they win, you win $100. And don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving all you basketball fans out there 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you do so you can get take advantage of this offer. Again, that's promo code DNVR. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Profit boost terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Keep It at 1000 podcast, the finale episode of this great 2020 season. I'm your host, Adam Matas, and I'm joined by the star of the show, George Carl. Coach, uh, happy, uh, this isn't really a holiday, but a happy end of the Nuggets season to you. This was, I had a lot of fun talking to you over the course of this and uh, wished it would have gone just one more round further, but... I, I as I've stepped away from this now a couple of days, this was to me this was a hell of a Nuggets season. Just first impression, how do you feel now that the season's over about this playoff run and the season as at a whole? Well, you know, I think there's 30 teams in the NBA, and I would say right now 15 or 20 of them are confused, disoriented, fucked up. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, and the season of what what's next is messed up. Yeah. Uncertainty is dominating. Um, and I think the Nuggets had a, a hell of a run, a fun run. There's a lot of things they learned. There's some growth. There's some positivity uh, to the future. Uh, there's a lot of things on the, on the plus side. But I also think you got to be realistic and understand that I've been, I've, I've talked about this with my friends and I can't come up with the word and the word I use is not good. I wish I had a better word, but this bubble is somewhat artificial. And because of its artificial circumstances, how much real is it? Right. How much truth is it? And I think that's a discussion everybody's got to have, have along the way. The second pessimistic attitude is I read it in Pat Riley's book. Uh, NBA success breeds arrogance. Mm, yes. And you have a lot of youth in the Denver Nuggets. A lot of youth in the organization, a lot of youth in the decision-making, somewhat a lot of youth in the coaching and in the players. 
So I would be worried. Yeah. You know, I, you know, after two weeks of trying to figure out all this uncertainty, you were in a you were pro, the Nuggets are probably one of six teams are probably great, feeling great about where they're at. Right. But there are bombs and minefields yeah. out there for everybody in this yeah. uncertainty. And navigating uncertainty doesn't make anybody feel comfortable. But navigating uncertainty, there are a lot of people in uncertainty will do crazy and maybe what I would call unwise decisions. So I think, I think uh, Tim Connolly's got a hell of a, whatever, three months, four months. Yeah. I think the, the Josh in the front office got to understand that winning a championship might cost money. Yeah. Um, I think along the way, you got some free agents and situations that their lawyer, I mean, their agents now are going to start playing games. Right, man. And it's, uh, and you know, my belief is, I hope and I, th I honestly think the Nuggets will be proactive and somewhere along the way, don't be afraid, make a trade. To the, it's time now to make a trade mm. that doesn't win the press conference. Right, right. I know the majority, vast majority, ever since I've been in Denver, <laughs> they always want to win the press conference. Mm. Well, you know, you know, trading someone and getting better is what the goal is. Right. Not winning the press conference and not winning, in my opinion, if I, you know, if I was a billionaire along the way and I someday, I, I don't think I'm ever going to make it to that level, but <laughs> somewhere along the way, winning the championship has got to be higher on the right. goals than making money. So there's all types of, I don't know, political, economical, psychological, sociological, in an uncertain time. But in the same sense, you know, I think organizations make mistakes when there's uncertainty. Mm, yeah. I don't think Denver as a team has much uncertainty. They could, they could keep this roster fairly intact and make the playoffs next year and say, hey, we're, we're getting better by staying together. But history says that doesn't work as much as making little changes and sometimes making big changes. There's a lot to unpack in that. I thought that that's a phenomenal way to kind of kick off this, this episode because you set the stage, I think, for a lot of the things. But one where I want to go first, you mentioned that you know, sometimes some of the egos get bigger, the agents get involved. Now there's notoriety, there's little recognition and just makes everything more difficult. I think the Nuggets have avoided that more than most teams. I'm not saying they don't have, they haven't had those issues even this season, but I think less than many teams in the NBA that have made it as far as they do. You'd look at the top eight teams. There's been some, some teams that have had some of that behind the scenes turmoil. But what I'm wondering is the Nuggets are a quiet group. They're, they're uh, you know, a bunch of second rounders, right? They're a bunch of guys that have clawed their way to get there. I'm wondering if you think 
the it's this is a windfall thing that happens quickly and abruptly over the course of just one off season or one season, or do you think it's something that kind of slowly creeps in? Meaning, do you think it'll be a meaningfully different vibe with the players, their agents, all of that stuff, as as early as this? I guess it's not summer, this fall, this off season. No, I I think I think everything's going to be somewhat conservative in the off season. Mm. What I'm saying is. You know, if, if I'm in a meeting, oh, I'm talking about the Denver Nuggets. I will give you that we we are we have a window. Yeah. Um, and I'm just I'm saying this through a, a coaching's eyes, coach's yeah. glasses. The window of potential and and future success is always blown out of proportion by management, mm. media, owners, and people who don't live in the, in the foxhole. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I'll give you, I mean, I mean, the team they have has a window. Yeah. I would say it's probably two to three. And ownership would probably say five to six. Right, right, right. And that's where you get into that tug of war. Um. You know, you don't know, you know, you don't know. You don't know what Murray or Jokic or injuries right. or trades or what the Clippers, you know, Clippers fired Doc today. Crazy. But I know the owner of the Clippers. Mm. And he, he will spend money to win a championship. Right, right. I promise you, he will do anything in his being. Yeah in the next two years to win a championship. I promise you that. <laughs> can I say that about the Denver Nuggets? I hope, I can say I hope yeah. they have that attitude. And I think they might, but I can't say I guarantee it. And I guarantee you Steve Ballmer is not the only one out there that wants a championship more than anything else in the world. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things, yeah, one of the things with with the Cronkies in particular is they have a lot of irons in the fire. They've got a lot of teams, a lot of interests all over the place, and you know, Balmer's solely focused now on this Clippers team and, and and what they have there. It's an interesting question though, and I'm I'm really glad you brought it up because the Nugget, this the Cronkies, I think have only gone into the tax one time. Your team, I believe, with was, yeah, with you, I believe it's one time, and it was. <laughs> It was sort of like, okay, we're ready to compete. Here's the here's the one-off. But, you know, a team going into the tax in 2014 when the when the Nuggets were in a rebuild, you know, I never blame. I know it's easy. It's not my money. I don't get – I would rather they go into the tax every year. It's not my money. It's easy to spend. But I understand why they didn't when the team was winning 30 games, 33, or this or that. It seems to me like they're at a point right now where there's no denying that this team has an opportunity. And to your point, if you really want to win, if that's important to you and you feel that obligation to the city, there's no stopping you. There's no stopping you from doing whatever it takes to, to put yourself in that position. And it sounds like you feel as though I feel, I don't want to put my words in my mouth. Tell, tell me if you're, if this is correct, but it sounds like you feel like I feel, which is, I don't know. They have, they have to prove it before I say that would have any confidence they would do that. I don't know how to answer that other than, yeah, that I'm. And don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people in aren't, aren't even thinking about spending the money. Right. Right. Yeah. I think Denver's going to think about it. Right. 
I honestly, you know, after the optimism of what has happened, I think of a good deal, Conley brings them a good deal, I think they can convince him. But I, I, I can't. Yeah. Steve Ballmer, I guarantee you. Yeah, right. He right. is making, he's going to make a bold move. Yeah. There's two or three other organizations out there that are tired of where they're at, Philadelphia, yeah. whatever. They're tired of, of just being okay or being good. Um, and in the, in the moving parts of how you get better, have somewhat of a different personality because of the pandemic right. and what's going to happen next year. Yeah. You know, my belief, I forget what, I think it's maybe Henry David Wadsworth or junior. I don't know. There was a poet that has a poem called being bold. When you're uncertain, when you're nervous, when you don't trust yourself, be bold. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and as a coach, I wanted to be aggressive when I'm not playing very well. Okay. We're not playing well, but go hit somebody. Go knock someone on the ground. Go play harder. Right. You know, be bold. Don't be afraid to fail, but fail the right way. It seems like I, I would guess that coaches, there's always the question, do you, would you rather have a window that's wide open for a short period of time or slightly open for a long period of time? And I think an owner would say a long period of time because that means a long time that people have their hope. I think a coach would say, give me my best chance now because that's what it takes. It's so hard to win that you would rather have your best chance one time than a pretty good chance three times. Is, does that sound about right to you? Well, I'll tell you the question I was asked, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, that always comes back to that, the question you just asked. I've been asked the question, would you like to be a coach that has won half his games for 20-some years, right. made the playoffs for 20-some straight years, has had some success, but never won a championship? So you're a coach of excellence, for 20 some years, but you don't have a championship. Would you trade that for one championship and being mediocre for half those years? What's your the answer? answer is hell yes. <laughs> hey, right. Hell yes. You're a competitor. I want the championship. Right. I want to get to the top of the mountain. I want to feel whatever that week or that month or that right. six months where you got it done. Um, but in the same sense, if you think about it, coaching 25 years of excellence, I think is better than one championship in 20 years of normal or average. That's my belief. Better or more? So, be what do you mean better? Well, I mean... If you're a coach and you go 20 some years, you're doing it, you're improving every year, right? You're right. learning every year, you're engaged every year, you're building a culture that right. can be respected. As where you know, you win a championship and then you go and get fired and mediocrity and you never make the playoffs and you make the playoffs once every three years. The M, the the, the USA, American people, like champions. They think the excellent coach, like Dean Smith, 
didn't win it, won one NBA, I mean, NCAA championship, but finished first or second in the ACC for 25, right. 25 30 years. Right. Well, he was, he was totally considered just a good coach until he won. Well, that's not true. He, I mean, Dean, Coach Smith had a lot of love. Yeah. But the, the example I'm trying to make is championship trumps excellence. Yeah. Yeah. As a coach. Right. You know, because if you don't win it, you're, you're open, the window of criticism is there. And no matter how well you coach, there are going to be guys that don't think you coach the right way. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question. I think most coaches at the NBA level would agree with you because I think most coaches, it's, it, I think it points to your competitiveness. What are you in it for? Are you in it for to not embarrass yourself and to get close to do this? Or are you in it to win? And it doesn't matter what the cost is. And if that cost is a lot of mediocrity to get there, it's worth it. And I th that's why I think it's almost a psychological question. Um, th that's kind of interesting. But I want to ask you, oh, do you have something? Well, I want to I wanna piggyback your thought of money, yeah. ownership. Do they want excellence and success? Right. Or do they want championship? Yeah. Excellence and success makes money. Builds right. a foundation of season tickets. Right. Marketing partners. You may, I don't know what the money, what, what the NBA average money making in the NBA is, but I know it's a big hunk. Do you want, again, like I, someone always said to me, Donald Sterling was known as an idiot until he moved into Staples and made all more money than any other owner in the league. Right. And then he was known as smart businessman. Right. Good owner. You don't change. I don't. I don't think anybody thought You're of wondering. Sterling as a good owner. Maybe a good money maker, but I don't think anybody thought of him as a good owner. Well, owners respected him more when well, he was making money. Okay, I got you. There you go. By by okay. other owners. Yeah. And then, and then, then you got the players. Players today want to win championships. Not all of them. Mm. Do players want to win a championship? Or do they want a max contract? Right. Yeah. Today, every, every Denver Nugget player's coach, I mean, every, every Denver Nugget player, his agent is trying to make that guy more money. Right. He's trying to figure out, is Denver the best place? Millsap, Will Barton, uh, Grant, right. Harris. They're all looking at saying, what is the best for me? Right. And what and me, the best for me is money. It comes down to money. And so the coach is loving the game because he wants to win the championship. The people are surrounding him want to win a championship, but not as passionately. They want to make money. In your experience, were there agents that felt that way, but not players? Meaning, were there agents representing their players for the money, and the players didn't care as much as the agents did? Is that ever a thing, or or is it usually perfectly reflective of what the player thinks as well? I've not met an agent that likes 
the value of a championship to an agent is minimal. Right, right. You know, what works in the NBA is getting two teams to play against each other. Or if you're lucky, three or four or five teams to play against each other because it's easy to get a, a higher bid along the way. Um, and then you got the uncertainty of the how the how, how is free, free agency going to fall? How's the draft? You know, is everything going to be short? Uh, you know, most of the time in the NBA, decisions, major decisions take time. Yeah. And maybe we don't have as much time as, you know, remember, half the teams, two-thirds of the team have from May 1 to November 1 to figure out where they want to go. Right. That's a lot of time. That's June. That's May, June, July, August, September. It's about six months. You might have two months to make all those decisions this year. Right, right. Gotcha. Uh, one other question on this. I didn't know we would I would go here, but I, it's really interesting. I always wonder, the Nuggets training facilities 20 years ago maybe weren't a, as much of a competitive advantage, but they are now. Teams spend a lot. Some teams spend an enormous amount of money on their facilities. Mm -hmm. The Nuggets have a facility so small that they can't even hold training camp there anymore. They have to go out. out, out of, how much do you think those types of things, training facilities, amenities, maybe even a G League team, just those kind of things that don't fit under the salary cap, how much do you think those are, one, a market advantage for teams, and two, are important to players and coaches? I, I think they're really important. I mean, I, I think the culture and the, um, you know, they, I think players like to know that where they go, they're getting better, they're getting smarter, and they're well taken care of. They have good doctors, physiologists, weight guys, and training facilities. That all comes in. That's a, that's a factor. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. All of them in the NBA are good. There are a bunch of them, though. There's, I would say, 10 of them. A third of them are pretty special. Um, and there are a lot of organizations that don't spend a lot of money on the little things. And I think the ones that do have an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's another part. I remember watching Jameer Nelson tell Malik Beasley to go and shovel snow off of his car. And I remember when I heard that interaction in the locker room, I thought, man, if I were a free agent and I knew I had to shovel snow off of my own car, cause there's no parking garage and there's none of this, that, I don't, they can't be accustomed to that. And I just thought that was one of the things. So of course, they've built a new facility. Um, but it, it just was what really opened my eyes towards these, this idea of amenities. I want to... Little things. Adam, even as a coach, my contract, I wanted to be paid fairly. Yeah. But the things I liked about being able to negotiate little things, um, to this day... The, yeah. the, the fringes, the benefits, yeah. the little things. And they don't cost that much money, but they're right. fun to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fun to walk in and as you go into a, a practice and go, hey, give me my, my normal breakfast. I'll be out in 10 minutes. Right, right. You know, it's fun to have. Yeah. It's a, it's a funny way of being appreciated. Yeah. 
my little things are much more important than, I mean, there was a book, I forget what the book, there was one book written by a famous psychologist that showed the world in every field that money is important, but it doesn't teach passion, perseverance, grit, and unity. Money, Money can break those things apart. There was an interesting Kobe story from, this is 10 years ago. I mean, he was still playing, but he drove his car one time to the arena, didn't even turn the car off. He just pulled right up to the front door and walked in and somebody came around and got his car and parked it for him. And the whole idea was the same thing. He had these things in his contract and just agreements with the team that my time is my most valuable asset. And I want everybody working to accommodate me so that I'm just thinking about my the job at hand and i don't even have to park my car i just i get to the arena i'm in here you've got this for me and that and it made sammy kobe was an obsessive it made sense like that this guy was able to stay in that headspace of basketball as close to 24 7 as possible and anything that took away from that get it out of my life and i always thought that was interesting um unfamiliar to me of course i still park my own car but it, it, it was interesting Take a quick break to remind you about DraftKings Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor of today's show and the place for you to place all of your bets. This weekend, week four of football's uh, week three is in the books, week four on deck. And to add to the excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook bringing back their can't miss offer. You bet $1 on any team in the NFL. And if they win, you get $100. Bet $1, win $100. It's an incredible deal. And if you don't like bas- uh, football, they've got basketball bets with that same thing. 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe. It's reliable. It's secure. and it makes it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. And use promo code DNBR when you sign up to get take advantage of this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week four. Bet $1 on them, and if they win, you win $100. That's $1 to win $100 when you use promo code DNVR during sign-up. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older. Colorado-only profit boost terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Let's get back to George Carl. I do want to keep looking forward, but before we look forward, I do want to look back a little bit and just talk about this Lakers series because last we talked, it was 2-1. Um, Lakers obviously closed out the next two games and, and got the win. What was the difference in the series? Why was Denver not able to make this? I mean, I think it was a competitive five-game series, but why weren't they able to extend it? Oh, you know, I'll be honest with you, Adam. I, was, I wasn't – of all the games that were played, game four and five were the most disappointing. Mm. It kind of, I don't know how you felt, but, you know, they fought. But they never they never found that belief that they could do it. Mm. Um, and don't get me wrong, the Lakers are a, a quality opponent. Uh, I think Frank Vogel, I've always thought Frank was an underrated coach, and now I think he's proven that he, I was somewhat right. And uh, I just think in the end, this is what this is my belief, is the L.A. Lakers like offense, but they know defense is more important. Mm. The Denver Nuggets love offense and like defense. Well, they're flip-flop in order. The Lakers know defense is one. 
Yeah. Offense comes after defense. I think the Lakers too many times play the game because they think they're good offensively. And they will play defense when they have to. But that switch doesn't work in the playoffs. You got to play defense and you got to build your habits consistently over an NBA season. And your fundamental habits, you know, as a coach, you know your weaknesses. And a lot of times after what happens, you walk off and you'll say, what are our weaknesses? Transition defense. Yeah. Protecting the paint. Uh, not enough playmaking. Hmm. Not enough, you know, you too much responsibility on, you know, maybe your stars. And I would put another thing I'd put down there is 85 days in the bubble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a crutch, but yeah it's it's not an excuse you talk about the loss of belief I, I do think there was a lot of mental and physical fatigue i mean you saw murray at the end of it and i thought and maybe correct me if i'm wrong it sounds like you might be talking a little bit even about Jokic in particular and the lack of belief because i felt like some of this was how physical it is to play against dwight howard and lebron james and anthony davis and i think some of it was just being worn down from all of it but it looked to me like he the frustration boiled over on him in this series more than any time in the previous two. And that lack of belief almost felt if it kind of went hand in hand with that, that he got so frustrated that maybe he wasn't as aggressive or as confident or this or that down the stretch of that series. Well, the thing I didn't, I, I, I was, I remember writing down in my notes that after game three, Jokic came out aggressive. Game four and five, he didn't. Mm. You know, game three, he took some. He took a couple shots in game three. But I said, that's a bad shot. Jokic right. doesn't take bad shots. But I'd rather see him come out aggressive, assertive, demanding. And I thought it helped their team. Yeah. Game four, the game, both of them were somewhat offensive-oriented early. Um. And he got foul trouble. He got behind the curve of, of, of uh, positivity. And he was searching. Um, <clears throat> but game four and five, I, w I wish they would have played. For me, I use the word angry. Yeah. Physical. Um, demanding. Um, and, I mean, we could go into, into the depth on, you know, how they – you know, I had a lot of guys question, why did you take Jokic out? Would I take him? Right. Would I take Jokic out? With the foul trouble, yeah. Yeah. My answer is, at the end of my career, hell no, I wouldn't have taken him out. Hmm. But, you know, Coach Malone's in the, early in his career. Um, you know, I coached in Europe where they never take that guy out. You know? Really? Some college coach. Some, in Europe, they play him. They just say, if you're going to foul out, you're going to foul out. Wow. You foul out, you foul yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I tell players all the time, I tell players all the time, I like foul trouble. It allows me to be creative. And I said to Jokic, I said to Jokic, Jokic, you average 37 minutes a game. 
foul trouble was going to cut that by two or three minutes. Right. Where, where you play and who you play with is what's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the familiarity of rotations. Right. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yep. I, I, good players don't care. Mm. I mean, people don't remember John Stockton was taken out of every game by Jerry Sloan at the six minute mark of the first quarter and six minute of the third quarter because he wanted Stockton playing with a second two, second team. Right. Stockton never was bothered by it. I tell players all the time, why don't you want to come off the bench? You're playing against second-tier guys. Right, right. Why, why wouldn't you want to maybe be in the second page of the Sky Report instead of the first page of the Sky Report? Right, right. That's tough to get some player to buy in. Again, it goes back to some of the things about who gets paid in this league. It's very rarely. Ego, done. money, minutes, all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, I, I don't really, there's not too much for me to go over in the series itself, but I do wonder, and you, you alluded to this early on, the Nuggets almost lost in five games to the Utah Jazz, and this whole offseason looks completely different. They didn't. They won. They came back. They get the credit for that. They came back against the Clippers. But to your point about this bubble, and you can over or underemphasize what happened in it, how would you evaluate the Denver Nuggets this season? Would you evaluate them as a team that is on the doorstep of contention and, does, you, know, you know, right there? Or do you look at them and say, yeah, but they almost lost in the first round to a team that nobody thought was a contender in Utah. How do you balance those two things personally? You know, the whole thing is pretenders to contenders. There's no question that the Denver Nuggets have moved up the pretender list to the top. Right. I think they're a contender. Um, watching them play, they have a, a, a quiet toughness yeah. and resilience that you don't see if you only watch them once every two weeks. Right. They, they have a, a connection, a unity. But, um, it go, you know, every time they lose or play, play poorly, I think it goes back to defense, transition, and physicality. Millsap is the only guy that really probably knocks a guy on his butt once in a while. Hmm. So in those meetings in the next weeks, what's the priority? You know, my priority is what we talked about at the beginning of the show. A commitment to win it all. And is that a three-year commitment? I mean, Josh is, is we're going to spend money this year, but we won't spend money next year. Right, right, yeah. Or we're just going to spend there and see how it works. I don't like that. I want the organization to be with me and saying, hey, we're going after it for three years. Right. That would, that would turn me on. That would excite me. But if I'm going to play compromise and politic and, and be, be told no because of money, I think then that, go, that takes the idealistic contender hope. I think everybody's got to be together, I guess. Yeah. The owner, the management, the equipment manager, the trainer, right. the ushers. Yeah. Let's commit. Let's go get this. Right. Because 
I think that I think the Final Four tells everybody in the NBA, not only Denver. You know, there's a lot of teams close. Yeah. What do we got to do to be the best? Right. Right. I, it's such a. It really is. The next step is the hardest one. I mean, that's what everybody says. Getting to be a good team is is hard. But getting to be a great team is really hard. But getting to be the best team is the hardest thing. And and Adam, the big thing is you're not one step away. Ooh. You're two steps away. Finals is a See, step. No, being successful in the finals is one step. Right. I mean, I mean, the conference finals is right, one step. Right. And then being a so. Sometimes when you make the final four and lose and you don't get there, well, we're only one step away. Right. No, you're two <laughs> steps away. You're only halfway. You've been and, to the NBA finals. I hear it's a completely different. I mean, it might have been different this year because the bubble. I mean, everything probably felt the same, just a new series, you know, new opponent or whatever. But I've heard from so many different people that the NBA finals, it's it's not a little bit more media. It's 10 times the media. It's 10 times the the, all the little things that are going, the, the distractions and everything else and the pressure because you feel that now everybody's watching. Not most people are this or that, but everybody's watching. I mean, the finals, <laughs> just how different was it of an experience being in the finals as opposed to the conference finals? It's amazing. I mean, it's dynamic. Mm. It's the first, that first press conference, you go, holy shit, what's this? <laughs> There are hundreds of people. Right. You know, the, the little scum, scrum you have before a, a game. Yeah. It's now, it's, it's the all-star game tenfold. Yeah. Because right. there's only two teams. Right. There's only, there's only, I mean, when you have 25 or 30 all-stars, there's a, you can divide the media up. But when you're Jokic in the finals, Every day, your day is going to be miserable with the media. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that doesn't take much for Jokic. He's very miserable with any media. <laughs> you know, the whole thing comes down to is the one thing I didn't like about the finals is the first three rounds of the playoffs, everybody's run by your organization. Then you go to the NBA finals, the NBA office runs right. everything. Right. And that was confusing to me. You know, when I'm dealing with my PR director and, and my doctors and, and my schedule, you know what? You have no control. You're told what to do. Right. And, and the media is unbelievable. And you have to be careful with who you talk to and when you talk more than ever. Yeah. The Michael Jordan scenario with me and Michael. Right, right. Uh, you never, you never know when things are gonna blow up on you. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I swear today that if if we played Chicago back in night in the finals, I w if we if I handled the travel better, it would have been a better. We would have had a better better outcome. What do you mean by that? How, handle it better? How? We go. We went down 2-0 in Chicago. Right. It was a Friday night game. This is my inexperience. Friday night game got over. Let's say it got over at midnight. So we were. We decided to fly home after the game. No one objected to it. We hit a snowstorm. Had to stop in Billings, Montana. 
to make a short story, a four and a half hour flight took seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we play Sunday afternoon at noon. Mm. So when do we, when can we practice? Right. We can practice Saturday. Uh, we're going to play on we light rest. Out. Yeah. And so you wake up at noon two. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we can, if you go back and look at that series, we were awful game three. Yeah. Michael, the only time Michael got going was game three. Wow. Um, how do you think Will Barton would have made a difference for the Nuggets in this playoff run? He, the thing that's tough about Will Barton, let me just say, he wasn't healthy in last year's playoffs. He didn't play in this year. So he's been a part of this team now for five or six years, and he hasn't benefited from it from a healthy playoff run. He's the one guy, and I, I have no idea what to make of, of him and because of that. I like Will Barton as a player, but I, I don't know. I think the confusion of – of the how the bench was rotated and how you play where and that was kind of a factor in the first series and the second series and i think coach malone did a great job of figuring it out but it seemed to be a bunch of musical chairs that no one really understands understood maybe totally their role and don't get me wrong that's that uncertainty might have been because of the bubble yeah. It might have been because of injuries. But I, as a coach, I like consistent rotations because you can then demand the role that you want back. When you have inconsistent rotations and roles, everybody's searching. And you just got to pick out the guy you like. Well, when you pick out the guy you like, you also pick out a guy that doesn't like your decision. Right, right. And, and you know, I, I know it's easy to tell guys, hey, it's the playoffs where I do what I think. Stay with me. You'll, you'll get another opportunity. Um, I just like the idea of playing with more confidence on who you are. You've been this guy all year long. Let's be a little bit better. As a coach, would you rather have 11 guys that all – can play maybe have different skill sets so you can mix and match or would you rather have eight guys that you just know those are your eight guys and there's no there's no questioning there's no confusion but maybe less versatile i will not want to lose the versatility uh but the shorter the rotation the more demanding you can be yeah hmm. Along these same lines, to me, one of the interesting sort of <laughs> probably less interesting to you, but super interesting to me, but how Michael Malone handled Michael Porter this entire season, unique situation, talented rookie on a veteran team, just evaluate from your perspective how he handled that, including the regular season, you know, kind of holding him out. He didn't really play until January, playing in that stretch and then becoming such a big part of the playoffs. Well... <clears throat> I think, I think Michael Porter Jr. did a good job. I think Michael Malone did a good job. Could they have done better? You know, maybe. Um, 
But I think, again, the roster didn't allow Michael Malone a lot of options. Uh, you, had to make, you have to win 50 games. You have to win as many right, games right. as you've ever won. Uh, the injuries they had helped my, him with Michael Porter, but didn't open up any window until the bubble. And I think, my, I think Michael uh, had the courage to throw him out there. But I don't know if, my, if the bubble would have happened the first week of the year. I don't know if Michael Malone would have put him out there. Porter Jr. is going to be interested not only uh, evaluating how good he was this year. The evaluation is how do we manage him in the next couple of years? Because he's going to be good. Yeah. He's going to be good. But do you want a, a lesser successful year next year by playing Michael Porter 35 minutes? Right. And making him, you'll know maybe how fast he'll be. Is, it? is he a year away from being a great player right. or an all-star type player? You can speed the process up, but it'll probably slow down your success. Hmm. What do you think is better for the Nuggets, though, next year? If you talk about trying to win a championship next year, is it worth the risk of lowering your regular season win total because it costs you a few wins, but you're going to get 2,000 total minutes from him, 2,500 minutes? Oh, man. This is my biggest pep peeve in basketball with management. Management believes summertime negotiations, compromise is cool. I think compromise is failure. I think when you try to win an NBA championship, 95% of what you do has got to have commitment in it. So when you're saying, well, we'll figure it out, or, you know, you know, we want to bring Jeremy Grant back instead of Porter, and he played better in Porter, so he's going to say, you know, Whatever rationalizations you come to, you've got to come back committed next year. And so if that means Jeremy Grant wants to go make 15, 18 million someplace, he gets offered, you got to be able to say goodbye if that's not what you want in. But you have all the pieces, Michael Porter Jr., Will Barton, Gary Harris, uh, uh, Jim, uh, Grant, right? You have four guys competing for forty-eight minutes, or maybe ninety-six minutes. Four in a ninety-six—that's twenty. It doesn't make any of those guys happy. Right, right. Yeah, it is tough. Um, I, I want to kind of look forward now. Once again, I know we've started on this, but I have actually a question—just a, a logistical question season ends usually there's exit meetings I, we haven't had an exit meeting yet with the nuggets i think because of the bubble maybe they just everybody got out of dodge as, as fast as possible but what what happens in the days immediately after the end of the season for a coach and for the team i hate exit meetings <laughs> with the media with anybody okay <laughs> when you when you've just got your ass kicked, yeah, yeah. Why are you talking about next year, three days after getting yeah. your ass kicked, and you 
it makes no sense. Everybody's a little on edge. Yeah. Uh, the pain is too fresh. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like meeting one of my players two weeks after the season, maybe three. You know, it's time to go do your own thing. Celebrate your success. Have fun with your family. Right. Go with your girlfriend to Hawaii. And when you come back, call me. Let's get together. Because let it all settle. And making a, a knee-jerk reaction when you, when you stepped on the curb and you almost fell doesn't mean you're hurt. Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, the emotional pain and the depression. I mean, it took me a loss. It took me at least a week to even think about making fun conversation. So I mean, no, you get angry. Were I you mean, no, I, no vacation immediately after? I mean, did you need a few days to decompress before you could even do the vacation? We had to. We had yeah. these exit meetings. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and that's what happens. I wish everybody meeting. could see your face right now because I, there's no questioning the sincerity of how much you hate the exit meeting. Okay. What's in the exit meeting? Okay. You're, you're Maasai. Okay. And, and you're meeting with every player. I'm not in the room now. Yeah. How many, how many questions, how many times you ask that, that player? Oh, tell me about the coach. Tell me about the coaching staff. Yeah. You think that's fair? After coaching, coaching in the NBA, if you make it to the finals, right. you coach over 100 games. And you just lost. So what's <laughs> fresh on their mind? What I didn't do. Yeah, yeah, of course. How poorly. Well, we could have we won this game if we would have inbounded the ball. Right, right. Come on, man. Go look at the film. Yeah. Don't overreact. Take the whole, you know, at the end of the season, you got to look at the forest and not the trees. Yeah. Because there's, when it's over and you're not the champ, if you're not the champ, you're not feeling good. How can Jokic improve? How can he get better? <sighs> Oof. I mean, his offensive game is marvelous. Um, I mean, he's, I mean, I never, I'm not a low post guy, but he can score on almost anybody down there. His comfort zone is still being the playmaker out top. I thought he was your best three point shooter at the end of the season. Murray, everybody say Murray. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I trusted Jokic as much as I trusted Murray. Um, I think everybody you got to talk to is defense. And then don't remember, people got to also be positive because he's a hell of a rebounder. Hmm. He's a great rebounder. And the rebound is a part of every defense. Right, right. So you can't throw out, you can't throw them off. I would get him to study films on, the guy that comes to mind is Marcus Soul. Yeah. Mark's not quick, but he gets in the way. I want Jokic to get in the way more without fouling. I'm not saying he's going to block any shots. I just want him to be in better position and gets in the way more often defensively. 
The other thing would be um, leadership, you know? Yeah. Young, young players, you know, they don't, they don't know what, he might be still too young, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's Fat Lever or bringing back Chauncey to talk to him about how to be a good leader in the locker room. Right. Right. Marcus Saul's an interesting. I think he's probably too still too still expensive. He's getting a little bit up there. But I always wondered if he would be the type of player you try to target if you could as a backup center now and, and a guy that could work with Jokic now at the, at this stage of his career and maybe shed some light on him. I mean, again, I don't know that that's possible. Maybe one year from now, Marcus Saul would be at the point to, to do that. But what would you think about that? A player that you see to be in his mold to, to work with them directly? Yeah, I think it's... I think every I think every every playoff team that thinks they want to be a championship should have some veteran leadership. Mm. They say Millsap was good there, but I also say he's quiet. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll never forget the week, the first week we had Chauncey Billups. We were we were a team that was ready to go down the shoot. We were not playing well. I think we were one and two. We were lucky to win the game we won. And it looked like it was going to fall apart. And 10 days later, and I'm going to swear to you, 10 days later, after we got Chauncey, everyone in the locker room and every coach knew that we were going to be really good. And that was all on Chauncey. Yeah. His, 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 his makeup, his character, his words, and his belief is tremendous. Hmm. And, you know, the guy that I like as a backup is Dwight Howard. Well, you just talked about leadership for two minutes and then brought up Dwight Howard. So go ahead and bridge this one for me. Well, Dwight Howard is not the leader. He's your physical problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, just, he's, yeah. The, he's the guy that's going to take the physicality of the game. And if you want to make it physical – we got a guy that'll make it physical. Let's go. Strong, man. Yeah. I mean, don't. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around him. Dwight Howard's a big, tough man. And he likes to play the game with a, with a little bit of fun and laughter. But he's a serious man out there yeah. right now. Certainly made a difference uh, in this one. What about Jamal Murray? What would you have? What do you? What does he need to add to his game, or what? Is, what would you add to his game if you could? This this off season. I think the whole thing. I think he's become more consistent, but I want him to be. You know, I am. I'm kind of goofy in this, but. I like triple doubles more than I like 40 points. Mm. I like you leading my team to wins rather than being the explosion that caused the win. I want you to orchestrate the explosion as much as be the explosion. Yeah, Murray had some of those games, though, this, this postseason. I mean, he had some yes. triple-double. Well, that, that's the biggest thing. I don't know. I, I said in the Utah series – that is, his games where he was not scoring 40, he still was effective yeah. and very efficient in many ways. Yeah. 
Do you still think that Denver needs a true point guard? Yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, you can play Murray at 20 minutes at point guard. Right, right, right. Maybe 25. You know, get an old, older guy that, you know, we, when we were in Seattle, we picked up Sam Perkins. And Sam didn't care if he played 20 or 30, you know. So maybe you can get an older backup that is ready to play 15 or 20 minutes in 70% of the games and 30 minutes in 30% of the games. Yeah. I don't think I have one of my theories. I, Big Smooth is one of my favorites. I don't. I don't think it's a coincidence that he had so much success, or the teams that he was on had so much success. It's the same thing with Robert Ori. I don't. Those guys. There's elite role players, like high level role players, especially at the forward position. They're so underrated. And if you have, obviously, they don't make or break a bad team. But sometimes I look at the guy, Andre Iguodala is heading to a six straight um, NBA Finals. Sometimes I look at that and I go, I don't think it's always a coincidence when really good role players always find themselves on championship caliber teams? No question. No question. Uh, you know, someone mentioned Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Would he be a good fit? Uh, oh, yeah. I think, I think you got to have a, a better and Plumley. I love, I mean, I like Plumley, but he's not a basket presence. He's a worker, tough minded. Yeah physical, but I think you need more of a, um, a, a basket presence of blocking shots mm. of maybe a little more physical if you can, um, to go along with Jokic. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. A couple more before I get, let you get out of here, coach, but Jeremy Grant, um, let's assume Denver retains him. What would you like to see? He's still young. I think he's, sometimes I think of him as of this old vet. He's like Jokic's age. What would you like to see him add to his game? Uh, I, w- I would be happy if his games four and five, yeah. three, four, and five become his personality. Uh, before game four, I was sitting with John Welsh, the uh, Clippers assistant coach. Yeah. And you know, their scouting report on Mur- on, on uh, Grant was he used to be really athletic, but he doesn't play athletic anymore. In game four, he played athletic. Right, yep. Took the ball to the rim. Wasn't afraid to make a mistake. Wasn't afraid to get his stuff blocked. He was more active. And I think that would be the one thing. Don't just be a defender and a shooter. Be more, be more of a basketball player, a balanced, complete basketball player. Yeah, I, 100%. He is so athletic, and when he uses it, it, it really pops off the screen. It just doesn't. And when he doesn't use it, it drives you crazy. It does drive you nuts. <laughs> it does drive you nuts, man. Um, I want to ask you to get out of here about a couple of high-named um, trades that have Denver's been involved with, you know, at least just fans throwing this out. But Drew Holiday is a name that I've heard or a lot with Denver. What do you think of what do you think of him on this Nuggets roster? And and would you be willing to part with, you know, multiple first round draft picks are collateral yes. in the NBA for teams like this? Yes. <laughs> I would make the trade tomorrow. What about a Michael Porter and the and the draft picks? That would be harder, but I'd probably right now, what I know. 
as a coach of this team, who's more important, Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray? I think Jamal Murray is. Yeah. And I think if I had to – and don't get me wrong, trades and, some, and summer – and trades and free agency, I call summer talk. Yeah, yeah. Everybody says, oh, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Drew Holiday would be great with Jamal Murray. I think that. But there is a window it might not work. But I think you got to be bold now and try to take – Go get the best chance you think is going to work. Yeah. I mean, to make that trade, I think you'd have to do a lot of research on, you know, the, the character, the fiber of, of who uh, uh, Drew Holiday is. Drew scores incredibly well on all of those things from everything I've heard. I mean, he's a 100% class act from everything. His whole family, the whole Holiday family, a bunch of stand-up guys. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm voting yes right now. Voting yes on Drew Holiday. And I would try very hard not to put Porter Jr. in it. Right, right. But, you know, when uh, we made the mellow trade, I didn't want to put Chauncey Billups in it either. Right, right. I wanted Chauncey to retire Nugget. And, you know, maybe it's a bowl. Bowl has to be included in this. I mean, he hasn't really, you know, he's not really quite a part of this team or anything like that, but fans are going to leave. Adam, you're talking like a front office guy. <laughs> you're I'm, talking just, I'm about, just talking we're talking, you're talking here, about potential <laughs> and the possibility of this you've been doing this for five years yeah yeah hey man you're not wrong <laughs> i'm not arguing with you um bradley beal what about him is he a guy that you would add to this team or are you much higher on drew holiday and i mean i don't know bradley Beal's an excellent player um Shooting is a part of – if I had, you know, two or three priorities, shooting would be one of them. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't turn me on as much as Drew Holiday is more of a defender. Yeah. Tough-minded. The point guard position is taken care of by two veterans. Right. You got Jamal and Drew. Right. You know, your third point guard can be a, a guy from Boise State. Kobe Carl's available. There you yeah. go. <laughs> it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have to be high. And your point guard is always going to be Jokic. Right. And so all of a sudden, you got more ball handlers out there and not offensive-minded scorers. Yeah. I like decision makers on the court as much as I like guys that can get 40. And I think that's one thing with Barton. Barton had a little more playmaking. Yeah. Then Grant, Harris, Definitely. and Porter. Definitely, no question. Last one for you. My guy, I'll be on, I'm going to just let you know right off the top. One of my favorites, Lonzo Ball is another guy that I've heard just sort of as a, as a potential. Now, he's a cheaper option than, than Drew Holiday. But what would you think of his addition to this Nuggets team? How would he fit in? You know, I've talked to everybody that's coached him. All the way back to his college coach. Mm. And they, they swear by him. Yeah. They swear that he's really good. And it looked like he was starting to make his shot at the end. Yeah. Um, he's a better defender than people think he is. He's a really good rebounder. Yeah. And his length is something that I like. I yeah. like I like longer. Right. And 
But I'll, I'll tell you what, a lot more people swear by him than I think his career has shown. Yeah. Uh, so I would say yes to that. Coach, this was I, – I, it's sad we're heading into the offseason, and, and obviously these come to a close, but I've really enjoyed these. I know Nuggets fans. I, I don't know if there's anybody in the world that has their finger on the pulse of Nuggets fans like I do. I'm not trying to brag about that, just the nature of my job. And they absolutely love this as much as I did. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it as well, talking Nuggets and kind of walking us through this memorable playoff run. No, you've lifted me up. The pandemic has been a little – Boring. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I had a ball. I, I mean, I, I had a ball because the Nuggets play great, and and you know they're they're they're, they're positioned well. I think we're gonna have a lot more fun. Yeah, I'm optimistic. <laughs> um, but you know, as a coach, I'm, you know, if I was Mike Malone right now, I'm fading into the sunset for. Vac- I'm going to vacation. But that vacation now was going to be three or four months. Now you're going to have to play. You're going to start practice here probably right. in six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your young guys are going to have to be somewhere December 1st, right? I don't Some know. kind of camp, yeah, you would think. So it's not going to be a – I would say two months is the most you're going to have before. Uh, so this is – for a better phrase, it's it's Josh Cronkey and Tim Conley's time. Right, right. Well, it should be fascinating. I hope we can link up and do something uh, uh, again once basketball resumes, but I, I've really enjoyed it. I know Nuggets fans are, and it makes me very happy to hear that you've enjoyed it as well. Um, do you want to promote anything? I know that you guys over at Truth and Basketball have a few things on the horizon. Is anything you want to tease out? Well, I think our first two episodes, and we, we never know for sure, but – we have had a podcast with a guy by the name Stephen Cutler on mental flow. Mm. And I'm big in, I mean, if you remember when, when we made the mellow trade, we always talked about playing pay, with pace yeah. and playing with flow. And he's in the mental flow. And so we had a really good discussion on how the mind works, how the competitive mind works, and how great athletes get into mental flow. And that'll be one. I think we're going to revisit with Darvin Ham. I think we're going to try to get Roy Williams and Pop on this year. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've actually thought about going back to a couple guys that supposedly don't like me, like maybe Ray Allen, yeah. World Be Free, some guys in my past, yeah. and talk about, did you really not like me, Ray? <laughs> and find out the truth. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know. Uh, we, I like doing, and I think the podcast itself likes to do, it's called Truth in Basketball, because we want the real stuff and the real fiber of what really happens to be on the, on the front page rather than the spin and the headlines on the front page. And the other thing being uh, being outside the box. You know, don't be afraid to be yeah. You know, like as I said to Tim Conley and Josh Cronkey, be bold. Don't be afraid to fail. It, you know, some people they can love you or not love you, George, but the one thing they have to give you, you do keep it 1,000. <laughs> Always the time. That's why Truth in Basketball is such a good name. Keep it at 1,000 such a good name. 
you you brought the truth uh, throughout this series and throughout your show. So thank you so much, everybody. Don't forget to uh, subscribe over at Truth and Basketball Podcast to follow all the cool things they're going to be doing here in the coming weeks. And until next time, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this limited run, Keeping It 1000 podcast with myself, Adam Mattis, and George Carl. It was presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor of this show. I just want to remind you, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now to get ready for week four in the NFL, where you can bet $1 on any team and win $100 if they win. It's an incredible deal. Risk $1, that's nothing. Win $100, that's something. That's a nice night out. Take the wife. Uh, out to a nice steak dinner. That's right. You can place one dollar on any team. You win a cool Benjamin. They also have this great deal going on for basketball fans: two hundred percent profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe. It's reliable. It's secure, making it easy for you to deposit, and withdraw money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you do to take advantage of this can't-miss offer. Must be twenty-one or older. Colorado only. Profit boost. Terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two four seven. Zero, zero.